0: Just recently has transitioned to Western Ontario District Office as the Northern Regional Director and been serving faithfully there for the past few months. And it's with great honour and pleasure to uh, invite him to the stage. Would you give him a warm Eastern Ontario welcome? His first time in Eastern Ontario speaking anywhere in our district. Come on, you can do better than that. Jason Small. Jason Small. Well, I just want to say what a huge blessing and honor, it really is an honor to be with you. Uh, As Jer mentioned, I was one year ahead in Bible college, and um, just when you watch people in life, there's certain people that you see, and you guys are leaders, you get this, that you see, and you see mantles of leadership, and you see um, just a godliness over their life, and so just... Right from the get-go, it's like somebody that you watch. Jared and I, I wouldn't say we were like super close friends all the way through. But it's somebody that you watch and you say, I just see God's blessing and God's hand over that person. And they walk with integrity and character. And that's the leader that you have. And so uh, you have a very, very good leader. You, you might not realize what you have because you're right in it. But when you go elsewhere and you see different, um, y- you realize... You have the best of the best here in EOD. And so, uh, yeah, make sure you honor that. And I just loved the kids' stuff. Oh, my goodness, that's amazing. My heart is seeing the Nunavut. Uh, One of my roles now is I, I serve the North. And you realize Ontario is really, really, really big. And so from my house in Waterdown. To go to the church, the first actually second week that I was on the role in this role, uh, to get in my car and to drive, it was actually closer if I got in my car and I drove to Disney World. Uh, that's how big our province is, and then from there you fly or take the ice roads. It's a huge, huge province that we live in, and we just realize how vast and how big, and and uh, in our First Nations communities especially, that God's doing something really incredible, and we want to get a part of that and be a be in that. So just as I'm here with you this morning or this afternoon, uh, I was recalling back as, as Jer asked me to share with you, and I was, I was really kind of overwhelmed as he did, just to, to be able to pour into leaders, to be pouring into leaders of the next generation is, is probably the greatest honor that I can be a part of. And um, I remember back when I was a student And we had one of these type things, we used to call it way back in the day, called it Firehouse. And so it was called Firehouse, and there was a lady by the name of Jeannie Mayo who came to speak. And actually, I believe it was an EOD and WOD thing together. So if uh, you're here from either one of those sides and you're really old like me, you'll remember this. And so uh, Jeannie Mayo came and spoke, and I was just churned inside. It was like God was speaking to me. And she was talking about becoming sacrificial to reach your communities to be see multiplication happen in your communities. And it's funny how you bring back as as the theme was this multiply kind of theme and, and God really brought me back to that moment when I was a teenager. She she challenged me to go and be generous over my schools to see people won for Jesus. And I remember uh, they also had this thing called See You at the Pole. Anyone ever heard of that? It's like an old school kind of movement. And they used to have, once a year, they'd challenge you to get around your flagpole at your school, begin to pray over your school. And so I went and I said, okay, I'm going to do this. And they they pumped it up and they said it was going to be this great thing. And I was expecting a whole bunch of teenagers to show up at my school. And I remember that morning, I was the only one. I was like hugging my flagpole. Dear Lord, do something. And her words, be sacrificial, be generous. And I remember as a teenager, I had like no money. And so I was like, what does that mean? And so I bought Timbits. And I started this little Christian group at my high school. And I didn't even know who would show up. And I just said, Free Timbits Christian Group, or I forget what I called it. It was probably better than that. But anyways, and so I set these out, and week after week, i just start this, and and there's these people started coming in. We started talking about Jesus, and before you knew it, it was like it started to grow. It started to multiply, and by the end of high school, we had about 100 students coming every week, and we saw God do incredible things, and God began to work in the lives of other teenagers. But I remember it started in a moment like this. God challenged me to be generous to see multiplication happen. That God challenged me to get to to not be close-handed, but just just to begin to have courageous uh, generosity with my time, with my resources, with my heart around those around me. Here's what I want you to do: uh, just with the person around you, you can chat uh, with those around you, and and I want you to begin to ask the question: um, What's some crazy generosity that you've seen in your life before? Okay, someone that's just like been generous in a way. Not just financially, but just generous in life that you've seen enacted. So you can move around, sit with somebody smart if you want, and just chat about that. Or sit with someone really good looking if you want to move over right now and say, hey. And uh, just talk about generosity. Benefits of being generous and generosity lived out. Go ahead. Being generous, and as you've watched it lived out, as you've you've been a part of it. In fact, I actually have a friend coming over to my house tonight. Um, He's flying in from BC, and he'll probably arrive in uh, in Sudbury at my house before I even get back tonight. But he's been so generous over my life. Get this, this year he's taking me, and he's done really well in his business and so on and so forth, but he's taking me on a heli-ski trip. And so I'm all pumped. I just got a ca- I've had a broken leg for the last three months, and I finally just got the cast off yesterday. Uh, and so I was so excited. So I'm actually w- able to walk again uh, pr- normally. But I- he's taking me on this heli-ski trip in two months' time. And we're going to northern B.C., and we're doing a week long. He's rented a helicopter for a whole week just to take us heli-skiing. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be amazing. And so generosity, and it's just so amazing. He's coming up to my house, and I'm I'm just so pumped to take him around northern Ontario. He's never been to northern Ontario before. And to begin to show him and, and see the churches and see the need. Being generous in life. I believe this, whatever you put into God's hand, in other words, whatever generosity that you would say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you with this, God, over my life and entrust it to others. I believe God blesses that. Whatever in your life, whatever you entrust into God's hand, God always blesses. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, and we're going to look this afternoon at a passage of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 17. And we read this story in 1 Kings 17 of a guy by the name of Elijah. Now, Elijah, now, if you're in the pastor session, we talked a little bit about Elijah as well. God just put it on my heart this week. So this guy, Elijah, just to set the context of what's been going on, there's this evil king, his name is Ahab, and Ahab has been killing off all the the followers of God, anyone who loves God. In fact, he's been actually targeting the leaders. So the group like you, he's been targeting them and trying to just genocide, just kill them off. And this guy, Elijah, has been the leader of everybody. Now God's spoken to Elijah, and there's in fact been a famine in the land. God said, as judgment, there's going to be no rain for a season. In this crazy, crazy moment, um, this guy Ahab, he's got a wife, and his name—her name—is Jezebel. Doesn't it just sound kind of like cryptic, like Jezebel? Turn to the verse aside, you say Jezebel. So you got to do it with a little sass, Jezebel, and and Jezebel, This she's even worse than Ahab, and she's wanted nothing more than to kill Elijah, she's wanted nothing more than to destroy, and so here's Ahab, Jezebel, and this guy Elijah, and so Elijah goes off, and he goes by himself, and the Lord takes care of him, but there's but been this crazy drought, and And the brook which he's getting water from dries up. There's no more sustenance. And so the Lord speaks to Elijah and says, Elijah, I want you to go to Zarephath. Now, Zarephath, you have to understand, is the hometown, the very hometown of Jezebel. The last place on earth he would want to go. The last place on earth. Like, that's the most corrupt. That's, that's where he's hated the most. He's, he's completely, like, the most wanted there. And, Lord, I can't go there. I can't go there. And so the Lord sends him to Zarephath. And he shows up in Zarephath. And there he sees a lady gathering sticks. And she's a widow. Now, you gotta understand the culture of the day. So, he's this Jew, doesn't talk to, it's like a racial divide, also a cultural divide. Like, the dude doesn't talk to the woman like that. It just doesn't happen, especially a widow. And so, he sees her gathering sticks and he says to her, he said, "Uh, Could you grab me a glass of water? And she looks and she sees. Now, understand this he's been living out in this brook all alone, and then the brook dried up and he's had nothing. So, he hasn't had a shower in literally months and months and months. He hasn't even been able to see his reflection and his beard is like kind of gone all crazy. It's not like the cool hipster pastor beard. It's like like crazy beard. And and, and he looks out of control and smells. And then he's he's hated. She would have known exactly who he is. And she sees this guy, like, oh, Elijah's come into town. And she said, okay, I'll go get your water. And she does this. It's just this amazing moment of like, whoa. And as she goes to get the water, he said, oh, just wait, one more thing. Um, could you make me some pancakes as well? Like, could you make me some, some bread? Some? And she said, well, here's the thing. She said, actually, the famine is so severe that my son and I were, I'm a widow. My son and I, we have just this little bit of flour left. Like, almost no flour left. Little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. I'm going to go home, and this is going to be our last meal, and we're going to die. Talk about, like, wah, wah, wah. Like, heartstring story extraordinaire. And so she said, we're going, to go, we're going to go home, and we're going to die. We're going to eat this and die. And, and he said to her, listen, to, this is when you know you have to have heard from God. Like, I listen to this story. I'm thinking, how could he do this? He said, well, before you do that, could you make me some first?" Oh, we're going to die. This is our last meal. No, but could you get me some first? dibs, please? Come on. And so she hears from the Lord, and she said, you know what? God spoke to her. It said, actually, that God put it on her heart, and God spoke to her. And so she starts to mix up the pancake mix, and she starts to to do it, and her son is looking, thinking, Mom, what are you doing? This is our last meal, and I'm sure the the tears are running down her cheeks. and, And as she begins to make this final meal, And serve him up first. How many people love pancakes? So I started this church in Waterdown. And we serve pancakes every Sunday at my church. (laughs) It was kind of a crazy thing. So here, you got to have some pancakes over here. They're a little chilly, so I don't know if they're any good. Okay, so she serves him first. And you know what the amazing thing was? God multiplied. And all of a sudden the oil that was going to run out and all of a sudden the flour in this like crazy supernatural miracle, multiplied. The next day comes. And it was like, okay, God, wow. You supplied my needs for a day. We know that, you know, you gave us this miracle right before we died, just so that we, we kind of know that you are God. And guess what? As she began to mix it again, day two, Once again, the oil didn't dry up. Once again, the pancake mix comes out. And and once again, she begins to, she takes this pancake mix and and gives it to Elijah. Come on over here. Yeah. Over here. Captain America over here. Every single day, it amazes me that God doesn't just say, okay, okay. Once or twice is enough. And, but God actually uses this lady because of her yieldedness, because of her willing to trust God. And he teaches the leader of the nation something through the least of the nation. That when you put into God's hands, he multiplies. He multiplies and he multiplies and he multiplies. And I can imagine every single day when she woke up, every single day when she began to mix the pancake mix, every single day, I imagine the tears would run down her face. Every single day, it would be like, is this the end, Lord? Is this the end? And every single day, God just kept doing the miracle and doing the miracle and doing the miracle. Is God calling you to trust him with what's in your hand? Is God calling you to to put into his hand so that he can multiply? Luke 6, 38 says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. For the measure you use will be measured to you. That's a scary verse. For the same measure that you trust God with what he's put into your hand. For the same measure you say, okay God, I trust you. That same measure will be used unto you. In Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25 it says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. When you decide, I'm going to bless others, I'm not going to be stingy, but when you live kind of tight-fisted and say, okay, this is mine, I'm holding on to it, so your world actually shrinks. What would it look like over you to have a multiplying world, to begin to see it move forward, 2 Corinthians 8 seven says this, but just as you excel in everything, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. How do you have a culture of multiplication? How do you begin to say, okay, God, I want to I, I multiply for you, God. I want to see things begin to move forward. I want to put into your hand, God, what you've put into my hand so that I can see there's a multiplication around me. So that I can see lives changed around me. A couple things from the story. Number one is if we're going to have this culture of multiplication, if we're going to trust God and say, okay, God, I'm just going to put it into your hand. It starts by risking in love. I look at this story and it's crazy. Like God always kind of pulls together the, the ones who you would not expect to be together. Here's this guy, the most hated in the entire land. And God calls him to Zarephath. Like, how could you take him to Zarephath?
1: Jezebel's
0: hometown. And she has every reason to have a hate on for him because she's been told since birth that this is a guy you should hate. But she chooses to risk a little bit. Here's what I would believe If you're going to see your youth ministries change, if you're going to see your youth ministries multiply, if you're going to see things move forward, you need to begin to risk in love a little bit. See, if you only love the people that look like you, or if you only love the people that you're comfortable with, if you only love the people that kind of, you know, are just socially acceptable in your circles, you're never going to multiply you're never going to see god do the incredible but it's when you step beyond where's comfortable for you it's when you step beyond what's what's normal and and easy for you when you get to the spot of saying okay this is uncomfortable number of years ago i was a uh, pastor in this church and this guy we were doing this barbecue outside and this guy came in and he was like hardcore biker type you know you know the kind he you know he's got the long black mullet and and he's got like the uh, black uh, kind of tank top on with the chain wallet and like full tilt biker deal. And everyone was kind of a little bit edged out by this guy. And, and so I went over and started chatting with him. I loved motorcycles and I, I had like this kind of cheesy bike, but it, it was fun and I enjoyed it. And so we started talking motorcycles and, and, and he started telling me his life story. And anything, long story short, one thing led to another and I began to go over to his house regularly and, and I eventually led him to Jesus and it was kind of cool. And he came to faith, and he was rough around the edges. I actually, uh, our church was like super nervous when he showed up because he just looked. And he was the real deal. He wasn't the poser type. He was the real deal. In fact, I got him to pray for the offering one Sunday, and he, he was the usher. And everyone's like, he's going to steal the money. And I'm like, don't worry. It's all good. <laughs> they began to pray, and he, he's like, Lord, just take that awful devil and blankety blank, blank, blank. And I was like, oh, a refinement needed here, but it's all good. Anyways, he was this biker guy, and he had seven Harleys, one for every day of the week. And he was the, he was the real deal. And so he took these seven Harleys, and he said to me, actually, when he came to faith, he said, "Jay, you know what? I can't ride these anymore." He said it actually represents my old lifestyle. He said I, I was running with people that I can't run with anymore. I can't, and I and I agreed with him. I said that's a good decision. That's a hard decision, but a good decision. So anyways, he sold off all, all his bikes, but he kept this one, and he kept it in his living room. Now, he was a bachelor. I'm like, hey, I said to my wife, this is great art. And She's like, not on your life. You know, you will never have this ever. And so as I was there on my last Sunday in that church, um, he came up to me and he said, Jay, I feel like God's telling me to give you this and that he's going to use it somehow for his glory. And I was like, you have heard from the Lord, you know, like hallelujah, and I received that, you know, and and so he, came, he He gave me this bike, and so I got this Harley, and it was an old renegade kind of Harley, and, and if you know motorcycles, all it's shovel old shovelhead, big eight-hanger bars on it, kind of raked out, kind of a little bit renegade, and so he gives me this bike, and, I, and I'm like nerdy white pastor guy, and, and so I start, you know, riding it, and I, I take it downtown, I'm downtown Burlington this day, and, and I'm riding this bike in this real biker comes up. I'm like, poser. This real biker comes up and he's like, hey, did the wizard paint that? And I'm like, as a matter of fact, he did. I'm like, how did you know that? And he's like, that's not your bike. And I'm like, no, I got, and he's like, why are you riding it? And I'm like, ah. (laughs) And then he kind of cuts in front of me and he won't let me pull away at the green light. And I'm like, ah. And so I start telling the story and he's like, okay, come with me. I'm like, ah. So I came down to his garage, and and it was kind of sketchy. And he he starts grilling me on why and and why Bob doesn't have this bike anymore. And so I tell him the story, and he's like, "Okay, next week, come back here." So I came back the next week, and there was like six bikers there. And I'm like, "Uh oh!" Made sure my life insurance was paid up well, and <laughs> kissed my wife goodbye. And, and so we start chatting a little bit and went for a ride. And they said, next week you come back. Okay. Next week I come back and there's like 15 bikers there. And I'm like, ooh. And they say, we're riding to the clubhouse tonight. I'm like, okay. So we ride to the clubhouse and I go and like it's like the real thing, right? And I get in this clubhouse and I'm like nervous and and the president comes over to me and he gets right in my face and he's like, I've heard about you. And I'm like, Oh, anyways, as the night went on, they started having this like wet t-shirt contest they announced. And I was like, "Uh Oh, this isn't where I belong right now. (laughs) And so I'd made a commitment to my wife and I knew that. And so I'm like, okay, I, I got to get out of here, but at the same time, I'm fearing for my life right now, you know? And my heart's, like, beating like crazy, and so I decide, okay, I'm going to walk out, and so I'm walking out in the parking lot. There's about 250 bikers there, and I'm, like, looking around at all the bikes, and, and I can hear what's going on inside, and, and kind of the shenanigans finishes, and the music goes down, and, and out comes the president of the bike gang, and, like, 250 bikers, and they come storming out, and he's like, hey! And I'm like, oh! And he gets right up in my face, and he's like, why did you leave? And I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm going to die. And I'm, like, trembling. Don't pee your pants. Don't pee your pants. Don't <laughs> pee your pants. And I said, well, I made a commitment to my wife, and I said, I just that I wouldn't look on anything like that. And And I said, so I I just I'm here with you guys, but he's like, that's good. He said, would you be our pastor? And I was like, What? He's like, Would you be our pastor? From that day on, and he put a decree that no one could that no one could try and put stuff in front of me. And he said, He's our pastor. I started doing biker weddings. I got my name on the biker enforcement unit protocol where they come and take pictures. Police are taking pictures at your house because they think that I, I don't know, whatever. (laughs) Moments in life. From risking in one day at a barbecue taking a step across the room to somebody that nobody else wanted to talk to. All of a sudden opens this door and You can reach people that I never thought I'd ever reach. Who's the student that God wants to take you to? That maybe nobody else is touching, that nobody else is going. But it's going to require you risk. It's going to require a little bit of messiness. It's going to require a little courage. It's going to require that you go out to the person that's not exactly like you but if you're content to just have a group that everyone's the same and everything's okay, you're just having a group, but when you begin to put it in God's hands, say, okay, God, I'm going to be generous with those who are not like me. I'm going to risk a little bit. I'm going to go to Nunavut to a community that they're not like me, and when they speak Cree or Ojibwe, or, it's different. It's a little freaky when there's people that are on drugs and alcohol. There's, it's a little freaky, but I care enough. I love that this widow, the least one you'd expect. Okay, Elijah, come on in. Risk and love. Begin to truly risk. Listen to what it says in, in Hebrews 13:1 and 2. It says, keep on loving one another, brothers and sisters, and don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some of you have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. That scripture blows my mind. That sometime when you risk a little bit in love, that you actually might be entertaining God's chosen servant, just as this widow was. Risk in love, number one. Number two is we need to begin to embrace inconvenience. And you're like, what? If anyone would have had a past this day, it would have been this widow. Like if anyone would have said, I need to focus on me right now, all of us would have said, for sure, she needs to focus on me right now. I hear that all the time. And I just... Bugs me. I just need to focus on me right now. I just, I need to go for a season of just investing in me. Here's this lady who, of anyone in the whole world at any time, I'm making my last meal because we're about to die. And Lord, you choose this time? You choose this moment? See, I believe that God actually speaks to our convenience and our comfortability. That it's at those times that he challenges us to put forward a little bit. It's at those times he, he pushes us forward a little bit and, and, and challenges. I'm a guy that's pretty impatient. You know when you're waiting at Tim Hortons and there's like the long line of people and everyone knows what's for sale at Tim Hortons. And they have like 15 minutes to decide as they're waiting and then they get up to the counter and, hmm, what do I want? Uh, what kind of donuts do you have again? Stop! You know what kind of donuts they have at Tim Hortons. Disorder! I get impatient. Embrace inconvenience every once in a while. See, I believe that God's wanting you and your youth troops to have those moments when you're really busy, but all of a sudden God just says, okay, enters stage left and says, okay, it's now time. Three weeks ago, I was going up to this meeting, and Northern Ontario is really vast. And so I was in a meeting in in New York the day before, and I was I had this long drive. I came to uh, Toronto, and and I knew I had to leave like super early to make it in time. It was about a 13-hour drive to get to where I was going. And so I was in the car, and I actually left myself a little bit of extra time, and I thought, and by extra time, I left myself two hours just for anything. And so I'm driving, and I'm driving, and I get to Sault Ste. Marie, and I'm like, okay, I got lots of time, I'm gonna be good. And it's Northern Ontario, so there's two seasons. There's like winter in construction. And so it's construction season, and I'm driving, and and it's two-lane road, and and so you can't pass very good. and, And all of a sudden, there's like these stops for construction. And then there's one, and there's two, and there's three, and there's four. There's 27 stops for construction. One of them lasted 45 minutes. I'm like, now I was on my way to a meeting where there was a church split kind of about to take place. There was some challenge that was going to take place. And I was, my heart was grieved for it, And I wanted to be there and, and to kind of support this church as they walked through the, the yuckiness of things. And, and so I start getting like, uh-oh, I'm going to be late. And I'm driving, I'm driving. Like, remember, I've been driving for 13 hours now almost. And, and, and so I'm driving and driving. And I'm like, I'm going to be late. And so I start trying to drive fast. And I start trying to pass like six or seven cars at a time. And I'm like, okay, hurry, 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 hurry. And just as I pull off the main road and, and the main highway, and there's about an hour to, to where their church is from the main highway. And, and as I pull off the main highway, and there's nothing. There's no cell phone reception up there. There's no people. Like, There's nothing. And so I see this guy on the side of the road with his car broke down. I'm like, oh, didn't see it, didn't see it, didn't see it, didn't see it. I got to get to this place. I got to get there. You know, it's inconvenient. Lord, if you really wanted me to help him, you wouldn't have made it all these construction things. You know, I'm justifying. And the Lord said, stop. So I'd actually went past a little bit, and I stopped. I backed up, and he's like, oh, I'm so glad you stopped. I've been waiting. So we got gets in the car, and he's driving along, and, he starts telling me a story. He's agnostic. He's not a believer in, in Jesus. He's like, you're a pastor. Wow, never get a chance to talk with a pastor. And so we start talking about things and. And I'm really late, and I'm trying to hurry. And he's like, I didn't know pastors drive so fast. And and I'm like, sometimes they do. And, and so we're driving along, and, and I'm going, 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 and I'm trying to make it to this meeting on time. And 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 he's talking, but I'm trying to focus on what I'm going to say to this group because, you know, my heart's like torn for this, this group. And sure enough, we come along, another broke-down car. And he's like, there's this young lady there and I'm like oh and I'm like oh did he see her and he's like he's like good thing you're a pastor we have to stop and I'm like oh, oh rats. so I'm like okay and I stop everything okay sure good and, and, and she's she's like no actually can you try and help me change the tire I'm like oh okay and so we're right there trying to help change the tire it doesn't work and so jump in and so now I've got three people you know we're driving along and I was so irritated, and I was so frustrated, and, and I dropped him off, and just as I was dropping the, I dropped the girl off first in town, dropped the guy off, and, and then I'm trying to get to the meeting, and I know I'm late now by this time. And he said, oh, just by the way, he said, I know what's going on in that church. He said, it's a small town. Everyone knows what's going on. And he said, just say this to them. And he gave me this little bit of words, like literally like five words. And I walk into the meeting, I was flustered and, I could you could cut the tension with the knife, and because I was late, there had already been like it got fighty, you know. And I got in there and I was so like, Lord, I left this morning at 4 a.m. And I got into the meeting and I said, sorry guys, I'm late. I picked up this guy and they all knew who he was, because small town. And I said, Oh, by the way, he just wanna said this to you. And and I started the meeting with this, and I said his words. And it was like the Holy Spirit used it. And all of a sudden in the room, like it just got eerily quiet. And one person put up their hand and said, I need to repent. And then another person, and then another person. And then before you know it, there was hugs, and there was crying, and God was working, and the Holy Spirit just moved in that place. And, and I'd said Nothing other than this agnostic guy's words. (laughs) And I was so upset about the inconvenience, but yet it was what God had prescripted the whole time. Embrace inconvenience. We get so into our youth ministries, and we're so structured, and everything's got to work like this, and we got the plan, and and I'm not saying don't have the plan. Have the plan. But be so ready when the Holy Spirit says, okay, now it's time to inconvenience you a little bit. In your worlds, in your schools, in, in your job place, for those who are in career world, embrace the inconveniences. Proverbs 3.27 says, don't withhold good from those whom it's due when it's in your power to act. Risk in love, embrace inconvenience, and then third, persevere in serving. I look at this story, and I don't understand God sometimes. God, you could have done the miracle. Why did you have to wait day in and day out? God, why didn't you just fill the vat up so that they'd have enough and they wouldn't have to trust in you every single day? But God chose in his providence to make it every morning, every morning, a little flour, a little oil, and the pancakes came out. Come on up. You know what? Some of you have been serving in your youth group, and you've been every single day. It feels just like, okay, just making this again. And God says, just wait. See, God used her to change the trajectory of a nation, to multiply and change the entire nation because she persevered. Some of you, you're working, and you haven't seen the breakthrough yet. And it's like just in the grind of the daily prep. I want to encourage you to keep persevering. My pastor community, there was a bunch of people that God told me to work on. And, and I was sharing my faith and, and serving and loving on and, and giving to. And just generous, generous treasure. In 12 years, you know, this one guy. 12 years I kept pouring out. 12 years. He was a part of my son's, he was one of the parents off my son's hockey team out of season. And, and, and I just kept pouring out for 12 years. And he never showed up once. Never, Never made a faith move. My last Sunday, I'm preaching and I'm speaking, and we we rented a, 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 a larger space because we couldn't fit everybody in one and, and we had this big hall and, and I see him in the top corner as I'm preaching. He comes down after and he's like, Jay. He said, You've been inviting me for 12 years. He said, I don't know why I didn't come earlier. I'm like, ha <sighs> ha. 12 years, and now he's going to the church every week, and he's telling me how great it is, and I'm like, 12 years, (laughs) 12 stinking years, persevere in serving, I love that this lady, I wonder what would have happened after like two weeks if she just decided, you know what, uh, I'm tired of this. Uh, I'm tired of every single morning, like mixing and every single morning having to wait on God, every single morning depending on a miracle. Get risky in your love. Get risky in your love. Embracing convenience, persevere, serving, and then finally this afternoon, if we're gonna see multiplication in our groups, if we're gonna begin to put it into God's hand and see God multiply, begin to live miracle-dependent. What do I mean by that? See, every single day, I can just imagine this kid, her son, young man, young teenager. And every single day as his mom's mixing this up, and I bet you there wasn't a day that she still didn't cry as she was doing it. I bet you there wasn't a day when the tears didn't run down her cheeks and say, is this it, Lord, is this it? Lord, are you going to still do the miracle again? God, are you going to do the miracle again? And I I imagine her son watching every day just grew up with this kind of like, wow, depend on miracles because that's how we live. I kind of want my life and my kid's life to be like that. See, the crazy thing about miracles is this, that you don't receive a miracle until you need a miracle. And we live in a world where we don't want to get to the spot where we need a miracle. We don't want to get to the spot where it's like, oh, it's out of my control. Oh, God, it's it's beyond me. But you don't receive a miracle till you need a miracle. And so many of us never receive miracles because we don't put it out there far or hard enough to need to receive a miracle. What would happen if you began to push the boundary so far that you begin to live where it's like, God, if you don't come through, we're sunk. God, if you don't come through in our youth ministry, we're going to take such big swings. We're going to try some things so radically. God, we're going we're gonna to trust you with this kids ministry or this youth ministry. So much so that, God, if you don't come through, we're done. I want my kids to grow up with a miracle dependence in our household. I wanted my church to know what it was that we just believed in miracles. I was talking with the sound man at the beginning of the service about the soundboard back there and when we first started our church in Waterdown we were like this little church plant we had nothing you know and we had this the world's crappiest soundboard we got it from this traveling evangelistic team we bought the whole sound system for 200 bucks monitors mics speakers soundboard everything it speaks to the quality of it and there was like this 1974 PV-12 channel board that was just absolute trash. And it's scratchy. And, and I remember one Sunday we were just praying, Lord. I was so frustrated with it because <sighs> as I was speaking, I said to our church, can we just stop and pray? I said, we don't have any money as a church, but we just need a new soundboard. Lord, would you just provide a new soundboard? And I had this pastor call me on Monday morning. And he called me and he said, Jake, he's a bit of a quirky guy. And he's a large church in Toronto. he said, Jake, God told me to give you a soundboard last night. Do you need a soundboard? I'm like, yes, we do. And he said, well, I've offered it to 10 other people. If you get here first, you can have it. I was like, oh, okay. And so I hopped in my car. and I drove down to Queensway. And, and here I get this ginormous soundboard. It was this Midas soundboard. It was 62 channels. It weighed 600 and some pounds. It was huge. I couldn't even fit it in the back of my vehicle. I had to like stick my seat right to the front and drove home like this. And, and I get it back and, and I got like 10 guys to help me lift the thing out. And, and, or I could have just got Matt to come by and lift it out. But, but, and so we, we put it there and have this giant soundboard. And, and the next week everyone comes in and we're like, God answers prayer. We have the world's largest soundboard with 30 people coming to our church. I want to live my life miracle dependent. My kids, we had this one moment where our car blew up and, and we, were, we, we didn't know what to do. Like the Not blew up, but the engine. Like, <laughs> you're like, whoa. Our engine blew in the car. At, and so we didn't know what we were going to do. And we were actually away at, at this uh, conference and, and I was depressed the whole time. I was all sad and I was like, oh, we don't have any money to fix that. and Blah, blah, blah. Woe is me. And my kids in the back, my daughter, she was was like about 10 at the time. And she said to me, she said, Dad, you always tell everyone to pray for stuff if if we need a miracle. And I'm like, yes, thanks, shut up. You know, (laughs) I'm going to be miserable. And it hit me, okay, I'm going to pray. And we were on this drive, and I'll never forget the moment. We just began to pray. And Grace said, okay, well, I'd like to pray that we get, um, I would like, a Volkswagen Beetle convertible. I'm like, well, I said, God doesn't, and I said, that wouldn't be practical. And my son Caleb, he's like, dad, I'd like a Mustang. That would be awesome. And I'm like, no, no, like we need, and I said, we need something just practical. That, And and I'm trying to like temper them a little bit. This is me, the man of faith. Grace is like, well, Annie Sue has a Ford Focus that I love. And I've always wanted a silver Ford Focus with a sunroof, dad. So I said, okay, just pray. And so I'm miserable and I'm driving and my kids start praying. We get back from being away. I come to church and I got these three messages from this lady. And Nancy Wilkes said, Jay, she left this message. I don't. She said where our family was having dinner and she said we were praying and we just felt like the Lord tell us to give you guys a car do you need a car? And I, was, I just started to weep. We go to get this car and it's a silver Ford Focus with a sunroof. My son Caleb's like, oh, Grace always gets to pick. <laughs> He's like, why didn't we pray for the Mustang, Dad? God doesn't always answer it like that. But here's what I tell you. I've learned in my life The miracles happen when you need them and when you begin to depend on them. I don't know why God chose to make it so that Elijah needed this miracle every single morning. I don't know why God chose this, this widow to use. But as they began to live miracle dependent, it was the beginning of the change of a nation. That it multiplied out from there and it absolutely impacted the entire nation And change the trajectory of where they were going. And I believe over your life. When you begin to say, okay God, I don't get it. But I'm going to begin to live miracle dependent. That I believe that God just begins to change the trajectory of your city. Of your youth group. Of your high school. That miracles will happen. I just believe. So here's what I'm asking you today. Do you want to multiply things? To not just be cons- be okay with going through the status quo and being okay with just the, the normal, everyday, comfortable, everything's good youth group. Do you want to say, okay, God, I need you to begin to multiply. God, I need you to go beyond what we can ask, imagine, or dream. God, I need you to be at work. Because I want to tell you, I've seen it too much to not believe it. When you begin to trust him and put it into his hands. When you begin to say, okay, God, take my life. God, take my talent and my gifting. God, take my finance and my resource. God, take my time. It'll be inconvenient, I I guarantee you. It'll be moments when it causes you to risk, to be a little more courageous, to step out. There will be moments of slogging where it just feels like, oh, it's just been this day after day. But, oh, there's going to be moments of miracles. And there's going to be moments when it's like, I can't believe what God is doing. I can't believe how God has worked. Folks, I want to tell you, students, when you begin to see God at work like that, it changes everything my last Sunday at community when I sat back and gym full of people and they're all up in the risers and I look out and all these people that you've had the opportunity to walk through faith and baptize and there's nothing better than that. We started our youth group in a little cafe and just rented out this cafe at night. With a couple students and see it grow to become this great youth group. We you stole one of your pastors from the EOD and Scott and made him our youth pastor and see how he did incredible things. What's your oil and flour? What's God put in your hand? he's going to use to bring multiplication upon multiplication upon multiplication can we pray mighty god lord this evening i just i look at these leaders around this room and lord you have so much potential in this room God, you want to do incredible miracles through these students, God. That that some of them in this room, you are calling to ministry, even this weekend. God, that they're feeling a call. Lord, that some of them in this room, Lord, you're calling to great things for you. To risk a little bit. Lord, you're calling them to to the ones who have been sidelined or marginalized. You're calling them, God, Lord, to their schools. to, To reach people that nobody else is reaching. God, I pray. God, some of them, they feel like it's been a drought. They feel like it's their their last kick at the can in youth ministry, maybe. God, I pray, Lord, that we would put it into your hands today and ask that you would multiply us. Lord, that you would use just the things you've put into our hands to bring multiplication to those around us, God. To transform, God, those around us. Students, I'm just going gonna, gonna to challenge you to live a little riskier. You know, when I get on my motorcycle, nobody ever takes a motorcycle and rides to Windsor. There's somebody from Windsor I was talking here today. The drive from, from Toronto to Windsor is about the most boring drive known to mankind. It's kind of like Cornwall to Montreal. It's like flat, straight. There's just like nothing there. It's just like, wah. You know, when I get on my motorcycle, I want to go on Snake Road. There's this road by us, and it's like turns and, and twists and hills and like crazy stuff. Some of you have been like, Lord, just make my life safe and easy and make my student life just so, Lord, I just want it to go smooth. I don't want to have any hiccups. I don't want to have any hardships. God, just make it straight. And then you wonder why you're bored as a Christian. My prayer for you is that it's adventurous. That every day you just take it on and be like, okay, God, I don't understand it, but I need your miracle power, God. You're going to bring some, some weird people and unusual people to my life. You're going to bring some ones that, that I don't understand, but God, Lord, help me to hold on. And in the inconveniences, as you do miracles, God, you're going to do more than I can imagine. So my call today to you is, would you put it in God's hands and trust Him with it, that He could multiply it. Whatever it is He's put in your hand, whatever gifting, whatever... Whatever time, resource to be generous with it and see what he'll do. Just gonna